Good morning. I'll be reading today from John 13, uh, 1 through 20. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I, am go- uh, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. Open our Bibles again this morning, this time to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll be looking at verse 21, or at least a part of that. We covered it just briefly uh, last week, and we're going to go into a little more detail on a particular phrase, the first phrase in that verse, and then because we have a... Uh, some controversial elements that we need to wrestle through and, and understand better. But what will come about from that is a, a better understanding of what Paul is trying to get across to us in these verses that we're going to be coming to, verses 22 and following, when he talks about uh, wives uh, being subject to their husbands and husbands loving their wives and what all that means. And so we're going to, as we dig in, we're going to see that there's so much more richness in that than we sometimes realize And then next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about what he means by that second phrase, uh, to do this in the fear of Christ. And so we'll look more deeply into that. Ephesians 5, uh, verse 21, submitting to one another. In popular Christianity, we sometimes find that people fail to speak the truth in love, which we learned back in Ephesians chapter 4. We first, as we saw then, we first have to understand what the truth is, then we have to speak the truth, and then we have to do it. But when we come to this phrase we're going to talk a lot about today, mutual submission, a lot of folks fail to do that. See, if we're to speak the truth in love, we have to make sure that we have the truth first before we speak or write. 
then we need to make sure that love is our motivation for the speaking and the writing that we do. And we need to make sure that love is governing our behavior. And what we find a lot of times in this, in these uh, debates that are going on, we have controversial topics, and when people enter into those, is that they sometimes fail to speak and write uh, with truth, and they fail to do that without love. And, and so I'm going to be looking at folks from on both sides of the issue, uh, because there's the, the truth and love on one side, and then the other side, they're devoid of truth and to to a level of, of even false teaching. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, so I'm going to kind of go between uh, two groups here. I don't equate them. They're, I'm not saying the same things about them. So as we go through that, uh, hopefully you'll you'll follow along. Some conservatives suggest that if anyone uses the term mutual submission, uh, to refer to what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians 5.21, then that means that they're a feminist, or in some of the terms that are uh, used, evangelical feminists, for example. And, and what I'm concerned with there is people who are not charitable in their words. They may disagree over, okay, can we use that phrase or not? Does that best reflect what Paul's talking about here? And sometimes if we're uncharitable in that, then that's what I hope to have us think through somewhat. The feminists they talk about, feminists typically reject or or compromise the biblical teaching about the roles of men and women in the home and in church. So does using the term mutual submission mean that that person is a feminist? Well, not at all. And I'd like you to consider that this term, mutual submission, in regards to Ephesians 5.21, has been used for quite a long time. And so you'll see from the slide that at least as early as 1989, John Piper used it. Probably earlier, but that's I just did a quick search. Uh, 1986, John MacArthur was using it. And, you know, those guys are not feminists, right? F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, a major New Testament commentator, used it in... 84, uh, John Stott, even earlier than that, in 79, John Eady, uh, in 1955, another major New Testament scholar and commentator. And then, before any of us were born, Matthew Henry used it in 1706, and Matthew Henry was no feminist, okay? He preceded all of the feminists, so, uh, and, and being a Puritan commentator, you can't call him a feminist. And so so what I'm trying to do here is just show you that a person using that term, mutual submission, does not mean that they are a feminist. Now, you may have noticed on that, that on that slide that it looks like the, the tendency is that if your name is John, then you probably use this term, right? And so you could put this John somewhere in probably the late 80s, but uh, for when I was uh, understanding it and using it. But what we're going to learn today is that spirit-filled believers submit to one another in uniquely Christian ways. Spirit-filled believers submit to one another in uniquely Christian ways. Those ways are defined by the specific roles within each of the specific relationships. 
if we, if that's what you mean by mutual submission, then your understanding is biblical, and it is fine to use that phrase. Now, I know that there is enormous pressure from society, uh, media, social media. I mean, everywhere you look, there's enormous pressure to accept the feminist distinctive that women should be able to fill all the roles that a man may fill. And, for example, they say that they should have the same jobs. They should be able to lead at home. Even they should be able to be pastors, in spite of the fact that the Bible says no. And so what some of them do is they just reject certain scriptures. So they'll, for example, they'll pit Jesus against Paul, and they say, well, you know, Paul... You know, he taught something very different from Jesus, so we just reject him. Others, when they see a verse like 521, they think, okay, that's, that's, you know, I can use that. And so they'll selectively, uh, accept Paul's writings. And, but what they'll do is they'll reinterpret what he meant. In other words, they'll twist the scripture. To suit their purpose. And so some of the groups that you'll hear, if you're reading about this and you're hearing podcasts and stuff, you'll hear these terms thrown around, folks that are egalitarian. In other words, we're all equal. And there's some senses in which that is true, but they say that it applies in every way. And we'll talk a little bit about that today, more so in the coming weeks. Another term is evangelical feminists. So they want to have this idea, okay, we want to, we want to bring together what the world is saying about feminism, but we also want to bring that to the, the Bible and try to, you know, bring those and blend them together. And so they will refer to themselves as an evangelical feminist. As I said, we'll go into this more in a few weeks. But I want us to consider today uh, how they reinterpret or try to reinterpret Ephesians 5.21. Now, they reject what Paul says after that, verses 22 and following, they reject what he says about wives submitting to their husbands, for example. They reject the idea that husbands should be the leaders in the home. And they claim to find support in verse 21, in this phrase, submitting to one another. And so they, they took what was a, a good, helpful term to explain what Paul's talking about there, mutual submission, and they redefine it. They redefine it to mean what uh, Denny Burke will call, uh, and I've got a quote later for him, from him, but uh, what he, a conservative, will call reciprocal submission rather than mutual, where they're really saying reciprocal. In other words, that the submission between a husband and wife, if Paul says in verse 21 that we are to submit to one another, that means that both need to be submitting. The, the evangelical feminist is saying that it needs to be exactly the same way. Okay, that their submission is exactly the same. And so, um, what we find, what they're doing is they're basically tearing down the biblical authority structures in the home and then also in the church because there's a lot of that going on today, a lot of spin about uh, people who are starting to promote the idea that women should be able to be pastors, even in what we would have thought churches that were in our circles in a lot of ways, right? Um, and, and so there's a lot of that going on. That's what we want to talk about some of these things and, and let the Word of God direct us 
their idea of this reciprocal submission is not the original definition that that I've been um, relate, or alluding to that on the slide with all those different guys and the way they presented it. Christians rightly reject the feminist view as unbiblical. But what we need to do is insist on accurate definitions to the terms. And if somebody comes along with false theology and they try to take over a term, we need to push back and say, no, that's not what that term means. And we haven't meant it that way since, you know, like 1706. No. Instead of letting them take over all of our terms. I mean, you think about it. What term Christian? Term evangelical. The, you know, so many of these. And now mutual submission, things like that. These terms, they, they, you know, it's like they're taking them away from us. And what we need to do is push back and say, no, that's not what that term means. And, and that's what I'm wanting to do today. I plan to keep using it, regardless of what, you know, uncharitable things somebody might say about me or others who use it. I think it's a good term, has a good history, and it reflects the Scripture, as I'll show you today. Paul's teaching here in verse 21 does not eliminate biblical authority structures. I said that last time. And we need to understand, when you use the term mutual submission, if you mean what what I'm trying to show us that it really does mean, if that's what you mean by it, it does not undo biblical authority structures. Instead, it transforms them into something truly spiritual and distinct from the world. I want to say that again. So, Paul's teaching in Ephesians 5.21 does not eliminate biblical authority structures. Instead, it transforms them into something that is truly spiritual. And by spiritual, I mean it flows from filling by the Spirit. Remember, we saw just a little bit earlier, and we'll read again. Okay, Truly spiritual. And I'm going to show today it should be distinct from the world. Okay, so we, we want to be careful not to go and adopt things in the world that maybe look kind of good and say, well, that's what Christian submission ought to look like. We don't want to do that. It needs to be distinct from the world. It has to be distinct from the world. Now, one of the things that throws people is that <clears throat> verse 21 is doing double duty. And so you can see from this next slide that it's doing two things. It's concluding what we talked about last time, where being filled by the Spirit, what does that mean? And there was those five participles, which really boil down into four different things or ways in which uh, being filled by the Spirit manifests itself. And there's that speaking, the singing, the thanking, and then what we're going to look at again today, submitting to one another. Okay, so it's concluding that. It's the last of those participles. It goes with, it serves the idea of being filled by the Spirit. But it's also introducing the next section that we're coming to, which is just an extended discussion of walking in wisdom, which we began in chapter 5, verse 15. And so it is introducing this new section. So I want to read now from verses 15 and then into verse 22 to kind of set the context and we know this is what Paul is doing here. Verse 15 of Ephesians 5. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled by the Spirit. How? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And then just to kind of introduce the next section. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. So you can see, I was trying to show there by reading that, that it, it's finishing off the one section and it's introducing the next. So it's doing double duty. That's important for us to understand. Now let's talk about this word submitting in a little bit more detail. It means to be subject to, to, to someone, something, or to subordinate. And so where someone might, like for example, Jesus will subordinate or God will subordinate all things under Jesus and under his feet. Okay, so that's something that is done to them. Literally, it means to order or arrange under. To order or arrange under. For example, it was used in ancient Greek for arranging or ordering list items under a heading. So you see there's that heading. It's just, it's kind of like the leader, if you will. It's it's the heading, and then you list, organize everything, this list, under that. It was also used for ordering or arranging people under a leader. And you can think here like in the government. So you have you know the different levels of government. Or in military. And you'll hear a lot of people talk about this term in that regard. Where in military, there is a structure. There has to be a structure for it to function properly. And so you start out with whether, you know, general, whoever, and then d- below that, right? And and so the different uh, levels of leadership under that and then those who submit to them. And this is in the middle voice, talking grammar here, here a little bit. Because see... If it's in the um, active voice, what that means is you you submit someone. Like I was saying earlier, God will subject to everything and everyone under Jesus' feet. Okay, that's active. But here it is middle voice. That means submitting yourselves. It is something that we are to do ourselves. We submit ourselves to someone. The believer acts as a free agent, participating in the action. This is just like all the other participles. Remember those those five participles and, and all of those. We're speaking, we're singing, we're thanking, and we are submitting. It's not we're not being sub, you know subject subjected. We are submitting ourselves. Christian submission is voluntary, but it's not optional. Okay? It's voluntary, but it's not optional. Submitting usually describes ordered relationships. So you have a leader and then you have followers, right? And that's the normal way this verb is used. The verb is normally followed by the mention of a leader or a power that those submitting are following. They're submitting to. Almost always when this word is used, it will say submit to, and then it will name someone or something. Something that we should show respect to or someone who has authority, that sort of thing. Some New Testament examples. 
Jesus submitted to his parents when he was a child. We submit to the government, wives to husbands. The church submits to Christ. We all submit to God. But Ephesians 5.21 is an exception. You'll notice there's no mention of a leader in the submitting. Okay? And that sets it apart. And that's not talking about something different. It's bringing out some different things to this whole idea of submitting that we need to understand. Something, see, it's going to work toward the end of what I was saying is that Christian submission is distinct from the world. It needs to be distinct from the world. And that's where he's going with this, where Paul is going. Verse 21, we're not told to submit to a leader. That's going to happen in verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands. But that's not what happens here in verse 21. In verse 21, we are told to submit to one another. And of course, you know, I know the evangelical feminists say, well, in that sense, we're all leaders. Well, if everybody's a leader, then what? No one's a leader, right? Because then there's no followers, right? Or if we're all followers, then there's no leader. You, you can't have it both ways. We need to think carefully about this. And so what we're going to have to do is we're going to need to answer a few questions. First, does submitting in verse 21 only apply to wives, children, and in his day, slaves? We think here probably employees, we can say, work relationships for us today. Does Does submitting in verse 21 apply only to those wives, children, and slaves. Some conservatives think so. They see verse 21 only as functioning as a heading for verses 22 and following. Okay? They, they say then that verse 21 means that they, wives, children, slaves, are to fall in line behind your leaders. The only thing is that doesn't take into account that the word for submission here in verse 21 is not followed by the mention of a leader. Okay, it misses that. Well, these these same conservatives are right. We agree with them that relationships in the church and in the home are relationships with order. That's the point of verses 22 and following. Okay, so in the church there is order. In the home there is order. There should be. Okay? And, but if that's all Paul had in mind here, then he could have left out verse 21. You see, if that's all he means is that this applies to wives, children, and slaves, then we don't need verse 21. And unfortunately, a lot of people just kind of breeze past verse 21 and don't even deal with it. Now, their view that it, that's what it is, uh, that it's just a heading for verses 22 and following, their teaching does fall within the bounds of sound doctrine. Okay, so I'm not saying that they're false teachers, not at all. They're godly people who hold that, people that you and I respect that hold that. Okay, maybe some of you hold that or you have, that's what you've, Thought and for there was a period where I thought, okay, I heard someone teach on it. It's okay, it makes sense. It sounds right, but then it just kept bothering me that verse twenty-one. It's like it was just not being dealt with. Okay, so it falls within sound doctrine. 
But we're going to see in a bit that Paul had more in mind here. And, and it doesn't give adequate force to the fact that he says, submit to one another. One another goes, it goes both ways. Okay? And it doesn't seem to really fit in my mind. You all submit to one another, but I'm really only talking about wives and children and employees. Okay? That doesn't sound right to me, but using the word one another. Okay, second question. Does submitting to one another mean that we all submit in the same way? That is, does mutual submission mean, as Denny Burke called it, reciprocal submission? And, of course, he, uh, Denny rejects the idea of reciprocal uh, submission. But, but the evangelical feminists say that, that that's what it is. We submit in the same way. Well, certainly not. And and you can see from the slide, I tried to show that here. So you have a husband and wife both saying, I submit to your leadership. That's not going to work. Okay? And then you can see how twisted that is. Look at on the right-hand side. Her mom and her daughter are both saying, I submit to your leadership. And I know kids, okay, they're smiling over there. They're going, yeah, this is great, you know. And moms are like, I don't think so. Right? <laughs> That's twisted. That, that's not going to work. Now, I know some people try to make it work and they, in their minds, tell themselves that it works, but it doesn't work. Okay? Because that's not the biblical model. Feminists are wrong to say that mutual submission means that husbands and wives submit to each other in the same way. Now, to, you say, okay, well, how's that going to work? Well, then they throw out some different suggestions. Some of those are... Well, well, we'll take turns leading. Okay, then you're not submitting to one another. You're taking turns doing, you know, kind of, I know, flip-flopping it, but, okay, I, you know, I'll be the head this time and you follow this, you know, kind of, okay. Or they say, well, let's divide up the areas to lead. Now, who's going to decide that? Who decides? I mean, I guess, you know, you roll dice or something like flip a coin for, you know. I, you know, it's just, it really... That's not what Paul's talking about. But one of the things I want both of the groups that I'm talking about here to understand is that it misses the rich blessings in God's design. If we don't get what he's saying here in verse 21, we miss those rich blessings in the way that he has designed the home and the church to work. Because, you see, he wants us to, to submit to each other in a way that, in ways that are transformed. They're not like the way we were before we were saved. Not like the world's way. We, we have been redeemed and he's redeeming our relationships. He's redeeming the roles within those relationships. And he's manifesting Christ-like character. And I'm going to show you just briefly how, indeed, Christ is the pattern for us in this. And for us to be able to manifest that, there's something different about us. We're like Christ. We're not going and looking in the world for, oh, there's a good example of it. Let's do that. Third question. What then does Paul mean by submitting to one another? Well, in, in every relationship, each person has obligations toward the other. The nature of submission is defined by the relationship. And there's different relationships, different classes of relationships, and the role within those relationships. And so as you see from the slide, 
in, in the white lettering, those are the relationships. There's marriage, there's parenting, there's employment. Okay, so those are different classes of relationships or the different relationships themselves. But then the lettering in yellow is talking about the roles within a relationship. So within the marriage relationship, there are two roles. There's husband and wife. Okay, and I'm just showing the husband here so that we kind of see the, the big picture. Okay, But what Scripture is going to do, especially in verses 22 and following, and... and 21 is going to give us the character behind it, but it's going to define for us what each of those relationships should look like and what each of the roles within a relationship are going to look like. Okay, And we'll talk a little bit about that today, but more so uh, in coming weeks. And... Well, I'll, I'll come back to this, and we'll talk about this again in a moment. Moving on to John Piper, a quote he had, which is I thought really helpful. He said, Mutual submission doesn't mean that both partners must submit in exactly the same ways, what, what Denny Burke called reciprocal. It's not that. Christ submitted himself to the church in one way, by a kind of servant leadership that cost him his life. And the church submits herself to Christ in another way by honoring his leadership and following him on the Calvary Road. Mutual submission doesn't obliterate those roles. It transforms them, you see. So it's going to be in in keeping with Christ. And so if you think about that slide where we, we saw that in that relationship of marriage, and of course... Christ's relationship with us is presented to us using the picture of marriage, okay? And so, there are two roles in that. There's, in in the picture, husband and wife. Christ is the husband, the leader, and the church is the wife. So, they're, they're different. Their roles are different. And he's going to use that as the basis for what he's going to call husbands and wives to in their actual literal marriages, but it's important to see that what is what Paul is trying to do here is to show that it, if we're Christians, then our roles and our relationships must be transformed. They must be redeemed. Husbands and wives submit differently. Uh, in a post on the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood website, a good, good resource, <clears throat> Denny Burke wrote, Paul calls on wives to affirm <clears throat> to affirm and support the headship of their husbands. And he calls on husbands to love their wives self-sacrificially. You see, those are different. Their roles are different. Okay? <clears throat> also, each class of relationship calls for distinct behavior. So when you think marriage, parenting, employment... Those are going to be different, okay? Those are different kinds of relationships. But I've known men who treat their wives the same way they treat their children. And back in those ancient times, a lot of pagan men, they treated their wives, their children, and their slaves the same way. That is not biblical. That is not godly. That is not okay. And there are men today, there are parts of the world that do that. 
But there are even Christian men that I've known that they do that with treat their wives and their children the same way. And that is wrong. That is not at all biblical. Those are different relationships. That is the twisted thinking of paganism. A man should treat his wife in a certain way. He should treat his children in another way. And he should, in our day, treat his employees in a completely different way. Some of the character is going to be the same. But it's the, those relationships are different. So you see, what I'm trying to get to is that the, the teaching of Scripture is designed to transform both the relationship, marriage, parenting, employment, and the roles within those relationships, going both directions, the one leading, the one submitting. <clears throat> So again, what it means to submit is going to be defined by the role each person holds in each relationship. Jesus himself sets the standard. So you can look here in verses 23, 4, and 5. He shows us the pattern for that. In verse 23, he says that Christ is the head of the church. And in response, verse 24, the church submits to Christ. And that different role in the relationship. But Jesus doesn't abdicate his authoritative position. See, that's where the evangelical feminists are wrong. The egalitarians are wrong. They say, no, no, we do away with authority structures and we just we, we just submit to each other in this reciprocal way. So it's the same. And, and, and so husbands, you abdicate your authority and elders, <clears throat> you abdicate your authority. Parents, you abdicate your authority. <clears throat> that's not what Jesus did. How did So, without giving up his authority as head of the church, end of chapter 1, how did he submit himself? Well, we find in verse 25, he gave himself up for her, for the church. You see, he died sacrificially for her, meeting her greatest need, the need of salvation, the need of redemption. Turn over to back to John 13. We read from this, but I want to read a little bit uh, again from that. So John 13, what Nick led us through. <clears throat> Jesus, in that chapter, humbled himself to serve his disciples. Now, remember, think about what's going on there. <clears throat> John says in verse 1 that... It's it's come to be Passover time. Jesus knew his hour had come that he would depart out of this world. In other words, he's going to die. Jesus, he knew this at this point. He knew that, okay, it's time. Actually, at the end of chapter 12 is where, you know, John tells us that, okay, Jesus knew when this certain thing happened, it's time. And he's thinking, it won't be long and I'm going to die. I'm going to die a very cruel death. And my father is going to turn his back on me while he pours out the sins of the world on me. And he chose, rather than to pursue his own comfort, he chose to serve his disciples. He humbled himself for their sake. He knew that they had a great need. They... They needed in that moment to learn something, and he had to teach them. And as he does that, this washing of their feet, 
He doesn't give up his role as leader. And what he did when he washed their feet is he took the position of the lowest slave in the household. See, there were different ranks of slaves in a household. There's one slave who's kind of over the other slaves and that sort of thing. Well, the one that did the foot washing when visitors would come or master comes home, okay, the lowest slave did the foot washing, okay? Jesus took that position and washed his disciples' feet. But he did not give up his role as their leader. And he says that. Look uh, there in John 13, verse 12. And so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Did you get that, what he's saying there? I didn't give up my authority when I washed your feet. I'm serving you. I served you. And I'm teaching you to serve each other. Because remember, during this time, they're like, which one of us is greatest? Well, I'm the greatest because I did, you know, I'm the greatest. He says, guys, transforming things here, remember? Redeeming things. You want to be the greatest and you need to be the slave of everybody. Okay? And he said... Yes, I am your teacher and your Lord. I still am, even though I washed your feet. And then he goes on. If then, if I then, the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master. Neither is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. There's that blessing. If we humble ourselves in what Jesus taught there and Paul is teaching. In Ephesians 5.21, there's great blessing for us. Mutual submission is Christ-like, humble service toward your leader. And... Also toward those that you might lead. Hear hear that, okay? Mutual submission, submitting to one another, is Christ-like humble service to those that you may lead. And so, like, you ladies, if if you're parents, you're leading your children. Christ-like humble service to them. But also toward those who lead you. See, so it's the same thing, right? Christ-like humble service, but it's going to look different based on your role. Still the same attitude. Still the same grace. It is putting others first. Thinking of others is more important than yourself. It is preferring one another in honor. MacArthur points out that every believer must be humble and submissive. No believer, he says, is inherently superior to any other believer. In their standing before God, they are equal in every way. Equal, but not the same. That's where the egalitarians go wrong. Equal, but not the same. Equal, but with different roles. It is dying to yourself to serve others. So on this next slide, I've kind of pulled a lot of those things together. I didn't 
give you the verses on it, but you could find those pretty easily, I believe. It is dying to yourself to serve others. It is this other-centered focus that we keep talking about. That this, That's what Christianity is. Remember, think about agape, right? The, the Greek word for love that the New Testament uses as, the, as Christ-like love. It's that other-centered focus, serving others in love, serving one another. And as we've seen here, that this is remember the last item in what does it look like to be filled by the Spirit? Speaking, singing, thanking, and submitting to one another. So this is the product of the Holy Spirit, right? This is what the Spirit is going to produce in us. And again, our behavior in each role is defined by Scripture. Now, Oftentimes, you'll, you'll read where Christianity just simply accepts the roles as they find them in different things like conservative society or, you know, you think about how, and, and you know, I'm dating myself here, but um, your father knows best, right? So a lot of you are like, what? You know, okay, well, you can probably pull it up on YouTube or something, I'm sure, a lot of the episodes. But it was this idea that, oh, we need to get back to that. You know, back to whatever era, right? And we find, okay, well, here's an example over here that we, oh, yeah, this is great. This is, this is what we need to emulate. <clears throat> and, and they do that without measuring them by Scripture. That's a mistake. Our behavior in each role is being redeemed by the Holy Spirit. He's the one who is empowering us and empowering us to do this in distinctly Christian ways. So we don't, we don't want the, you know, my three sons, leave it to be, again, dating myself, right? So, you know, all these, these moral, respectful, you know, and yeah, enjoyable to watch because they were respectful. They, they had a basic belief in God and all. But if that's all we do, we failed. Because our relationships and our roles within those relationships need to be distinctly Christian. Each Christian role must be strikingly distinct from the world's version of that role. There are, there are examples all over the world. You find cultures where... Wives submit to their husbands, and they seem to do a pretty good job at that. Okay? But it's not biblically based. It isn't. Their roles, what they do isn't at all what we find in Scripture that we're supposed to do, and the attitude in it, and the the motivation behind it. So when you see the world's version of one of these roles, I mean, same with, with parenting. You don't go look out there in the world and say, well, how does, you know, this group do it or that group do it? No, you look in the Bible. How does God tell us to do it? How does He define it? The way, what we do should be distinct from the world's version. It should be, as I said, strikingly distinct. In other words, it should be obvious. Okay? Yes. You discipline your children, maybe your neighbors do too. But yours ought to look very different from theirs. Do you lead your wife? Well, and your neighbor does too. Okay, your leadership should look very different 
Wives, you submit to your husband. Maybe your neighbor does too. Okay. Yours needs to look distinctly uh, and strikingly distinct. Mutual submission. And I'm going to talk about the, the those who will lead in some way here to try to show what Paul is talking about. Mutual submission by Christians who lead will be distinct. One example, husbands submit their time and energy to loving their wives sacrificially. Okay, so we come home from work, we're tired, we just want to relax, read the paper, you know, go sit on the back porch, drink a Coke, whatever, and just be left alone. Well, you get home and the kids have just been unique that day. And mom is frazzled. Guess what, dad? You die to self. You, you submit your energy and your time and you serve her. You know, it might mean rounding up the kids and getting them out of her hair or whatever it, you know. Parents submit their own time, money, and energy to training their child. Okay, again, it, it, it takes time and energy to do this. Um, I just noticed uh, the guys are staying on track, and I got off off track a little bit. So, on these these um, slides, so you had the the role of the husband, and let me walk through that just real quick. Um, and thanks, David, for staying on track, and I got off on. Okay, <clears throat> so. Looking at the husband's role, submission is defined by Scripture for this role. You see, so he's dying to self. He's sacrificing, you know, his needs to meet hers. Uh, he's loving her sacrificially. And then let's go to the next slide where you have the wife's role in that relationship. Uh, she's submitting, or her submission is defined by Scripture for her role. She's following his lead, and she's respecting him. A couple of things that, that are called out there in Ephesians 5, okay? And so, <clears throat> you see that those roles are defined by Scripture, and they're different roles, okay? So, to what I was saying, MacArthur then explains, we can go to the next uh, slide for the uh, quote, He explains, parents are to submit to the children's moral and spiritual welfare. And in love, husbands are to submit themselves to meeting the needs of their wives. Some examples that he's called out there. You see, that's what mutual submission is. Okay, That's what mutual submission is. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide. Um, again, as I said, I got out of order here. So, um, yeah, and then one more. Okay. Again, just so you guys would have that. Each Christian role must be strikingly distinct from the world's version of that role. So those who reject mutual submission and those who redefine it, as I said, they miss the rich blessings that are intended for them by God and His design. They miss the blessings of transformed relationships. They miss the blessings of redeemed roles. 
they miss the blessing of being like Christ in their relationship and in their role. Being like their Lord. Imitating Him. They miss, miss that blessing. And that's what we'll be looking forward to in the coming weeks. We're to be like Christ. We're to follow His lead. His example. Ephesians 5.25. Let me go back over there real quick. He tells husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. He loved her. That means all of us who trust in Him, we are the church, and He loved us. He loved us so much that He would give His life for us. He would die in our place. Because we we know that God is a holy God. And He has to punish sin. And He can either punish it on you for the rest of eternity. Or, if you trust in Christ, Christ will have taken your punishment. Either way, sin is punished. But if you trust in Christ, not only do you, you has He taken your punishment, but you get to be with Him forever. You get to be with the one who loved us and died for us. And see the reminders of His love, the marks of the nails and the spear when Jesus died. He, he kept those scars to remind us for all eternity how much He loved us how He would die for us. So as we come to the Lord's table, think about that. Think about Jesus humbling Himself to die for us, to submit to the need we had, the need to be redeemed from our sins. And and let us think about His example as we meditate on it.